Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. This is actually a full reshoot of the podcast I did yesterday because even after 133 uh, podcasts, you can still have technical issues when you don't know much about cameras. So I had this, I had said it in such a way that I looked like I was in slow motion the whole time. So uh, luckily, I hopefully, hopefully it's fixed now. We'll find out. And let's get into the actual podcast. So the Mandarin Blueprint podcast is based on the Mandarin Blueprint Method course, which is a framework for learning Chinese efficiently and based on the best language acquisition resources available, including things like memory champion techniques for memorizing individual Chinese characters. And, you know, when you look at Chinese language from the perspective of already knowing it, you can see how essential the individual characters are. Individual characters matter so much towards how easy it is to learn, say, something like Chinese grammar. Now, grammar is a few steps above characters, but if your foundational knowledge of the characters is strong, then your grammar acquisition should be quite easy. Unfortunately, though, the majority of curriculums out there in the world, especially at places like universities, they just don't have a good method for learning characters. And this is really what motivated us to make the Mandarin Blue Root Method in the first place. And if you learn character by character, then it becomes very easy to branch off into other elements of the language. And as a result, we started developing the course and then we made the Mandarin Blueprint podcast so that people who are on the course who have questions and comments and they want to share their mnemonic scenes or they want to uh, you know, give advice to other people on how to study, uh, they will send in their questions and comments and we'll talk about them on the podcast and much of it becomes course content. So that's what the Mandarin Bloomer podcast is all about. And with that in mind, let's jump into some questions and comments that came in this week including this email from Fred Snyder. So Fred says, hi, Luke and Phil. I was one of those intermediate learners that halted the course about a year ago. I haven't stopped learning Chinese though. I regularly follow your podcasts and listen to the user input and questions. The reason I temporarily stopped the course was that I needed to more to fill in the blanks of my learning. At that time, the inability to quote unquote unlock succeeding lessons without stepping through each lesson was a little frustrating. I know that you have expanded the course and changed the subscription structure. How do you suggest I re-engage in the course? I'll answer that question in a moment. I'll keep reading for now. I'm impressed and appreciative of all the hard work you both do. You have not only taught us Chinese, but taught us how to teach ourselves by providing the tools and techniques. You reimagined what learning can be. Even without accessing the course for now, your podcasts and YouTube videos teach a lot. I was surprised to learn that memory techniques were taught in the past. The book Moonwalking with Einstein by Joshua Four is a delightful read for those who might be interested in memory champions. Your list of resources is impressive. Thank you for sharing. I would like to offer a few that I have found helpful. If you are already aware of them, please excuse the duplication. Rakuten Viki, viki.com, V-I-K-I.com, has Chinese mainland TV shows and movies. Most are free. There is a learning mode that allows the cursor to hover over the hanzi that is not recognized and a definition pops up. MandarinCorner.org, a collection of graded videos with transcripts. A one-time $5 unlocks the premium features. The dialogues are not your Beijing Hua and has a slight Guangdongish sound. <laughs> MandarinTools.com, a collection of useful tools, particularly dim sum Chinese tools, which is an input method that will take a Hanzi character and convert it to the pinyin and add the definition. I use this to create an Anki input file for a list of many words. With Mac Big Sur, you may have to launch it from the .jar file. The idea is to put each new word or character on a different line and use tools to append the definitions. This results in a tab-separated variable text file, which can be imported into Anki either directly or through a .csv spreadsheet file, depending on the software. Finally, a language exchange partner. I have four exchange partners. One is a professional English teacher, another a translator, yet another an international business person, and finally a Guangdong student. The student is, has a, uh, I think there's a typo here. The student has a little bit of, uh, I don't know what he meant to say there, but um, no problem. We use WeChat for both audio and writing. We each meet once a week at a regular time. 
It's not that hard to get a partner. I found that by advertising in thebeijinger.com, using the classified ad section will usually bring many responses from Beidot or other universities. There is an etiquette and technique in finding a partner so that both parties can really help each other. If you would like, I would be happy to offer some tips. Finally, one request. You recently did a YouTube about how to make advanced Anki decks with clothes and image occlusion and Pleco. Can you please point me to that link? Well, there are about four months of pent up random thoughts. I really hope that after this pandemic has abated and travel is permitted, I can invite you to dinner in Chengdu when I next come and we can talk about our different experiences in China. I really have had unusual and unforgettable experiences as I am a bit of an adventurer. Regards, Fred. Well, there's some great stuff in here, Fred. So first I would say how to, how to re-engage with the course if you've been away for a year. Um, I wrote an article about this and the short hand of the article is that you should do all of the casting calls, set the scene, and pick a prop lessons regardless of your level because those are based, they're, they're your mnemonic toolbox. They're the lessons that if you don't do them, you're gonna be missing tools for how to actually learn uh, Chinese from using this method. So like a, a prop is a object representation of a character component, and that character component is going to apply to characters you haven't yet learned. So you need to do the pick a prop lesson and pick an object to represent that component. However, for the make a movie lessons, which are basically learning a full character, if you can say with confidence that you know what the components are, you know how to pronounce it, you know what the tone is, then you can skip that lesson. And then what will happen naturally is as you go through and do this, you'll eventually catch up to the point where essentially what everything you're learning is stuff you haven't seen yet. So uh, that's the short answer as to how to engage with it. And uh, luckily we don't, we no longer do that sort of unlocking thing that you were talking about before. So that shouldn't uh, be an impediment now. So um, that's the answer to that. And thank you for sharing your list of resources here, vicky.com. We've been hearing a lot of people talk about that. And um, it's funny that you brought up a language exchange partner. Luke just released a video that he produced uh, last week about getting a, a speaking practice with a tutor. And so you can check that out on our YouTube channel and you can check out the grammar one as well. Uh, they should actually just be on our YouTube channel right towards the beginning because we've only recently uh, released them, but I'll be sure to um, also drop those links in here as well. So um, thanks for the email from Fred and um, if anybody wants to check out those links there they should be in the description below now uh, let's move on to the next one Hannah Sloat on you did it which is the final lesson in pronunciation mastery she said wanted to say that overall this was a wonderful start to my Chinese learning my love is impressed with how fast I've been acquiring the language before this I studied Japanese for a while and learned a lot from my mistakes I'm excited to just keep going with your class and keep on improving. I'm trying to learn Mandarin and she's improving her English. So excellent stuff, Hannah. I'm glad to hear this. And I think that um, if you have the type of motivation where you are uh, learning directly with someone you care about, or at least for someone you care about, that can make such a difference to your motivation. And as you continue to learn characters uh, moving forward, or so you start learning characters moving forward, you'll find that your uh, ability to practice the different things you learn in pronunciation mastery is constantly available, and you'll get a real sense of the underlying language. So great stuff. Christopher Glover on Daizi in context. So this is a lesson that has a number of sentences that use the word daizi, which means bag, but one of the uh, words in one of the sentences is nong. And so Christopher asks about this. I searched the course page for the character nong and found it here, as I've been hearing this word a lot, nong huaila, nong diola, but haven't really figured out when to use it. For instance, has it got any similarities with the usage of rung? Would you be able to give some of the common collocations that nong has and whether they have any xiangdangyu, which basically means something similar? Sorry for the ton of questions, many thanks. So nong is a great verb. It's a verb that is, it has a multitude of usages because it is a catch-all verb for when you don't have a very precise verb. So um, for example, nong cuo means that you misunderstood some situation or something where 
the reason you got it wrong isn't like an obvious verb. So for example, like if I say quang, it means I misunderstood the situation. Now maybe there's a more precise verb I could have said that is like exactly why I didn't understand the situation. But by saying it just kind of gets a general sense that regardless of exactly what the particular mechanism was, I still misunderstood the situation. So I, you know, hence why you put nong first as the verb with the result of mistake. So that's a good example of it. Nong diu, which you already brought up here. That's another good one. So like ba nong would mean I lost my phone. I took my phone and I lost it. But how exactly did you lose it? If you lost it, you kind of don't know, right? You're sort of, uh, it's not like, if you know exactly how you lost it, then I suppose you probably didn't lose it, right? I suppose if you dropped it down a uh, a canyon, it's like, okay, well, it's lost and I know how I lost it, but, um, you know, you it's still lost. But most of the time it's like, oh, I don't exactly know where I left it or maybe it fell out of your pocket somewhere. And the, since you don't know, uh, nong is a good enough verb there. Nong nong huaila. That's a good general thing for... Somehow I broke this thing. Don't know exactly what it was. Uh, fooling around with it and it broke, right? Um, I knocked my uh, cell phone over somehow and maybe it was just like the side of my thigh hit it off the table and it hit the ground and broke or whatever. You know, it's like, was is there a perfect verb for it? Was it like that I hit it or that I, I poked it? Not exactly. It's just sort of a thing that happened. And so... Nonghuai is very good in that sense. So another question that Christopher asked about this later was, was does this verb tend to get used in uh, the ba structure, which is the take something and do something to it. So it's take an object and do something to it. And it often has this verb result structure like ba shouji nonghuai le would mean I took the phone and I did something to break it. I broke it, basically. It would be the translation. But um, because nong is this catch-all verb, it's not exactly clear the main verb, but the result was huai, broken, right? So, um, and like I said, with nong, there, there's often a more precise verb you could potentially find, but it's nice to have nong in your repertoire because it is one of those catch-all verbs. And whenever you have a, a verb or a noun or a categorical word, those are good words to learn when you're in the learning stage because they often fit well with the situation. Like I was just, um, uh, yeah, I remember reading a, a section of um, Harry Potter in Chinese and there was a spot where, um, you know, Voldemort and his uh, his crew his crew was summoning him and he was thinking to himself like they better not have i told them not to summon me for any reason uh so they better not have known the situation so like and he would use he used known he thought known because it's not exactly clear what was the like you know you met you messed up the situation but is there a perfect verb for that well not really it's just kind of like a general verb of like you misunderstood there was some kind of verb there but it's not like very precise so it's very useful to have nong in your repertoire melina thomas on mandarin initials categorized she said i'm not totally sure if my roof tongue position is correct i love feedback or more examples on how far back slash forward the tip of the tongue needs to be or how to really nail the pronunciation i feel like my mouth feels slash sounds full of cotton when my tongue is up so i think i'm doing something wrong slash extra thanks for any assistance with the other tongue positions do not seem too far off for me okay here's what i would say about this because it's a little bit of a tricky answer because on the one hand everybody does have a slightly different range where their tongue will go up for these retroflex initials so the most forward it might possibly be is just where the gums meet the back of your front teeth top front teeth so the back of your top front teeth and where it meets the roof of your mouth, that's as far forward as it might be, like ch um, But for many people, it's further back than that and maybe up to one to two centimeters further back depending on who you are. So maybe the person in the world who has it the furthest back has it two centimeters back from the 
spot where your top back teeth meet the roof of your mouth. So two shamir from there, like right now what's up with that difference well everybody has a little bit of a difference it's just sort of shape of your mouth shape of your tongue but here's the problem that's true there's a range but you're saying it feels and sounds like my mouth is full of cotton when my tongue is up so i think i'm doing something wrong slash extra well remember if, if you don't have retroflex uh sounds in your native language it's gonna feel weird right like there's no way that it's not that's gonna feel natural because you never used it so um the idea that it feels something like something is off is to be expected uh in fact it would be strange if it wasn't the case so i exercise caution in saying well then if it feels weird it must be because you need to put your tongue in a different position it might be but it's like we're talking about a range of two centimeters here really so you can try the different ones out but just be careful because it's it's very possible that the reason it just feels weird is just because uh you're it's new to you so here's a bit of advice try to put your tongue further back because if you put your tongue further back you're training your tongue to be stronger kind of like how you know, if you can lift a 100 pound boulder, then you can lift a 10 pound boulder. There's no like, so if you if you train your tongue to be stronger by putting it back, and then you realize, you know what, my tongue should actually go a bit more forward, you're going to be able to do it because you've already made your tongue stronger than it needs to be. So um, that's how I would recommend it. Another thing I would say about this is that it's important to have your tongue up because it changes the tone quality of the sound. So take this. If I just say SH, the normal English way, like shh. See if you can hear how it sounds when I switch to the retroflex tongue position. Here how it's much thicker. So that thicker wind tunnel effect comes from the fact that your tongue is in that position so it may feel weird but it does change the quality of sound so if i try to say sure 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 with the english sh it sounds like very native english speakery whereas if i say sounds much better because the wind tunnel effect that gets created so um, I would say practice it with your tongue further back with the knowledge that you can move it forward if you need to. And then, you know, just try the different ones out. But I wouldn't just assume that simply because it feels weird that that's an indication that, um, you know, you should, uh, that that's some kind of indication that you should keep your, uh, th that is wrong because of course it's going to feel weird when you're not used to it. Next, we have Steve Nichols on a simple final A introduction. So he says, uh, hi all, this may be in the content somewhere, but for the average person, is there guidance as to how much course content to consume on a daily basis? Whether all downloads are a good idea, as I know PDFs can build up fast and overwhelm can creep in, how to use time in between video watching to best further practice. So I want to get into a sensible daily learning pattern, I guess. For example, 30 minutes of videos, X minutes of reading PDFs, X minutes practicing, such and such. See what I mean? Thanks. So Steve hasn't reached the point in unit two where we cover how to do the flashcards. And so flashcards are going to make a huge difference in uh, how this, your study structure is based because they're based in spaced repetition software. Spaced repetition software uh, gives you the exact facts that today you're at a 90 to 95% chance of remembering. So when you first see a new fact, your chance of remembering it is pretty slim because you've just learned it, right? So, um, you, you, or I should say 10 minutes from the moment of learning it. So 10 minutes later, you've got a 90 to 95% chance of uh, remembering it. Now, if you even waited an hour, there's a good chance that you're not gonna remember it. So the first interval is 10 minutes. But if you get it right in 10 minutes, you've got, you did get it right, 90 to 95% likelihood of you getting it right succeeded. And so now it's going to say, okay, the 90 to 90% 90 to 95% likelihood that you will get it right is um, 
going to be 24 hours from now. So that's a day later. Okay, great. So now you see it then and you get it right again. So when's the next time you have a 90 to 95% chance of getting it right? Well, about four days from now. So you can see that the likelihood of getting it right, the interval gets longer and longer. And so if you keep getting it right, keep getting it right, eventually you reach the point where it's like, you've got it. it it's going to be years until you don't know this. Now, if at any point you get it wrong, it simply resets and it just goes back to, okay, 10 minutes, one day, four days, seven days, and so forth. So eventually you're going to get it. But because this algorithm works based on over 100 years of research, what ends up happening is that in your flashcard reviews, you're only seeing the stuff that you're either new at or bad at. So the stuff that you struggle to remember or is new. The stuff that you're good at, like the, the flashcard that says Nihal means hello, and you've gotten that for years, you're not gonna waste your time seeing stuff like that. You're gonna see the stuff that is giving you some trouble. Now, uh, once you have that as a part of your routine, then you'll naturally get into a study cycle of reviewing and learning. So suppose you have an hour a day, right? Well, you start your day with reviewing flashcards and it takes 10 minutes, say, and you've done all your reviews. Okay. So then you're going to learn for say uh, 40 minutes and then uh, do your initial reviews for 10 minutes. So 10 minutes before, 40 minutes of learning, 10 minutes at the end. Now, the next day, there's going to be more than 10 minutes worth of reviewing. Why? Because the 40 minutes of learning added a lot of new cards to your uh, review queue. So this time, say it's 30 minutes of reviewing. Well, now you only have 20 minutes to learn. So fine. So you get 20 minutes of learning and then 10 minutes of go adding those new cards to your reviews. So 30 minutes review, 20 minutes learning, 10 minutes adding new cards. Okay. Uh, now the next day it ends up being 25 minutes cause you only had 20 minutes of learning. So the point is you eventually reach a sort of homeostasis where the exact amount of review time versus learning time, it tends to be consistent. Now in the case of pronunciation mastery, pronunciation mastery is not that big of a course. So you'll, you're kind of going to get to that point around the time you're reaching that point is around the time that you stop having new cards to add to it. And then you're just reviewing just to make sure you retain the information you learned in pronunciation mastery. So for the most part, this only applies to uh, the Mandarin Blueprint Method course because the Mandarin Blueprint Method course covers characters and words and all of that good stuff. So there's a lot more to learn and therefore there's a lot more to potentially add to your review queue. So uh, with that in mind, that's what's mostly going to get your review learning uh, balance set. As for PDFs, just download them when you get them, organize them on your computer by unit if you want or by simple final, however you want to organize them. Uh, we gave them very clear file names, so I don't think that there's going to be too much of a problem organizing those. And besides, those are mostly just for reference anyway. So I'd say that it's mostly going to have to do with the flashcards and that will you'll naturally end up with a cool little um, pattern there if you keep looking at it every day. And so the key I'd say is to decide exactly how much time you're going to study every day and try to fit it into that. Oh, and also just one final point about that is just that the when you're doing flashcards and you have it on your phone, for example, you can do your reviewing throughout the day. So you can think of your, so maybe you go, what's my learning time each day? How much time do I focus on learning new stuff? And then reviewing just fits into the cracks of your day when you're in the elevator while you're, um, you know, waiting in line for something, you're doing a few flashcards. So <clears throat> that means if that's what happens, then you can be in a situation where uh, you don't have to think about your reviewing and learning in the same space. You can just think about it uh, as you learn when you're focused and sitting at your computer and you review just whenever you have a chance throughout the day. And Giles on Make a Movie for Tun. These characters are starting to run together for me. Xi, Shao, Tun. I need to redo my scripts, right? Well, not exactly. So if you're doing a Hanzi movie method scene, then you're including several memorable things. You're including faces, which represent the pinyin initials, the um, places, which represent the pinyin finals. So we call those actors and sets. And then you have the room in the set, which represents the tone. And then you have... Uh, 
objects, which represent the character components, and then you have how they interact, which represents the um, meaning of the character. Now, these characters are running together for you. They do tend, they do look somewhat similar. They have similar uh, elements to them. Um, but what exactly is it that's running together? Is it the definitions? Is it the character components? Is it the pronunciations? The answer to that question is where the weakness is in your story. So for example, with Tud, you have a CU fictional actor. Maybe it's Casper the Friendly Ghost. Okay, and it's in the EN set uh, in the bathroom or backyard. Well, if you remember a scene, and again, you, you probably have a different uh, actor than Casper the Friendly Ghost, but just for the sake of example, like if you have a scene where you remember that Casper was there and you remember that you were in the backyard of the engineering college uh, or the, you know, the bathroom of the engineering college because the engineering college would associate with the EN pinion final then you've got the pronunciation. So that's not a problem. You don't need to redo that because you remembered it, right? Uh, and maybe you even remember that there was a uh, water dropper there, but you can't remember what the other two components were. What were they? Well, the, they're a razor blade and a hockey stick. Okay, the fact that you didn't remember the razor blade and the hockey stick tells you that that's what needs to be improved. But that doesn't mean redo the whole script. It just means emphasize the razor blade and the hockey stick in some way, however you can. So um, that would be what you'll learn as you go through the Anki cards or the, the flash cards in general is that what is weak about your story will become clear to you when you do your flash card reviews. So the one type of flash card has the English keyword and the pinion on the front. Okay, so when you see, and the, it prompts you to write the character. So this flashcard is going to tell you if you remember the meaning or not. So if you didn't remember the script, it's because how the props, actor, and set interacted wasn't clear enough to you. But um, suppose you looked at the pinion, you went tun. Okay, well that's going to be Casper the Friendly Ghost because that's my CU actor. It's the EN set, so uh, it must be... Uh, you know, the engineering college in the bathroom, and then maybe you imagine yourself there, and then maybe the scene comes back to you. But if even you're there and you can't remember what happened exactly, then that tells you, okay, it's the, it's the interaction between everything that needs to be fixed. But then there's another, another type of card, and that card has the character on the front, and it prompts you to remember the meaning and the pronunciation. So in this case, Maybe you remember the meaning, but you can't remember the pronunciation. So what does that tell you? That tells you that you need to improve Casper and the uh, engineering school bathroom. Like those need to be more involved in the scene. So what's nice about the SRS flashcards is they'll show you exactly where your weakness is to some high degree of precision. You know, it's, it's the pronunciation that you don't know. It's the component that you don't know. It's the meaning that you don't know. And so... You don't have to reshoot everything if you remembered part of it. So you just add on. So like uh, William Edmides, one of our long-term clients who's finished the intermediate course, he said it's like a, a, a brick falling off a building. It's not like the building being knocked over. So you just put the brick back on and solidify it a little bit better. So uh, that's a good way to think about it. Okay, this is a great uh, comment from Merrick Kaspersky on special effects and memory athletics. So uh, this is this is really cool. It's kind of an exciting type of um, message to get. So he says, eight-time world memory champion Dominic O'Brien is a good friend of mine. He taught me Seahorse, an acronym, when using the three basic elements of memory and recall, imagination, association, and location. So Dominic O'Brien is one of the big inspirations for the course. Um, amongst many others, because uh, while Dominic O'Brien hasn't necessarily, although I, th I do think he actually does have some uh, involvement in China and uh, perhaps some Chinese learning, he's not, that's not specifically his thing. His main thing is, you know, coming up with great memory champion techniques so that he could win the world memory championships eight times. And we've, you know, 
looked at a lot of his resources to try to understand what are some of the ways that you can improve your scenes throughout using the Henza movie method. And so he has this acronym called Seahorse, and we'll go through it now to talk about how these different elements can make you better at the Henza movie method. So Seahorse, S stands for senses. Use all your senses, smell, sight, hearing, touch, taste, and you know, they're all memorable, absolutely. Your senses, and I mean, especially getting the tactile senses involved, uh, using music, so you have audio, lots of sound effects. Um, you know, of course, it's a visualization, so there's a lot of visual, um, you know, sense going on, but smell can be hugely helpful. You know, you imagine uh, how your grandparents' house smelled, or, you know, you smell something that doesn't smell very good. Like, these things are all very memorable. E, exaggerate. Make things you are trying to remember as exaggerated as possible. If I am trying to remember to buy eggs, I think of someone throwing eggs at my front door. Not one, but a hundred eggs. Imagine the mess, the smell, link it with the location, the front door. And the link it with the location thing, it's possible to do at the front door because you know, you're leaving the front door, so that's to remind you to buy eggs, but maybe even better, like it depending on your circumstances. But for me, uh, there's a little shop where I can buy eggs in my apartment complex. And so perhaps I imagine the same thing, but just happening as I'm walking by the shop. So I imagine myself walking by the shop and then suddenly a bunch of giants start throwing eggs at me and maybe they're all, uh, you know, completely nude because that's more memorable and the smell of them hitting me, whatever. But it's the fact that I link it to the location being right outside the shop means that I'm more likely to, when it matters, go buy eggs. See what I mean? So it's like, uh, if you just do it at the front door, the problem with that is that maybe you remember when you're at the front door, but you're not in a position to buy eggs at the front door. You're in a position to buy eggs when you're at the shop. So absolutely, uh, exaggeration can be hugely helpful. All right, Seahorse, S-E-A, action. If you put some action into what you're trying to remember, it also becomes more memorable. Imagine carefully stepping through the 100 broken eggs. Suddenly you slip, fall, and land on your back. Action. Memorable. Right. Absolutely. This is, um, you know, kind of the final step of the Henzo movie method when we, you know, first we get your, your actor, your set, your props, your room within the set, and they're all there, but they're just sort of sitting there until you make them interact, and that's the meaning of the character. And so the action is, you know, hugely important. H. Humor. Adding humor can also make things memorable. If I also need to buy cat food, imagine resting on the couch and you are attacked by a giant cat. Imagine it as a cartoon with a giant ball of dust, feet and hand flying everywhere. Memorable. So, yeah, and then, you know, humor, it's tricky because not it's not like you always know, like sometimes humor is somewhat improvisational in the moment it comes up and like, you know, there's an opportunity for something to be funny and you can't always predict it. However, I would say that whenever you can make something silly, go for it because it does make things more memorable for sure. Oh, order. If you need to remember an order or sequence, create a journey. Start in a room of your house, go around the room in a particular order, hanging things to remember onto items in the room. A bedside table, for example. When you rewalk through the room in the same direction, you will be able to more easily remember items in a specific order. Yeah, nice. And this isn't as necessary to do with the Henza movie method because uh, it's kind of all happening in one location for one fact, and which is a single Chinese character. So it's less order based, but there are a lot of things where you might do this. For example, uh, if you want to remember, say, like the order of the periodic table of elements, you could do a journey method through the various uh, sections of, uh, say, a gymnasium, because it's rather big, so you want to have a, a bigger location. But, you know, some you could probably do it in your house. And then uh, another good one is when you're doing a speech, um, because you're going to, like, I want to say this, and then connect it to this point, and then connect it to this point, and so it's very journey-based. Uh, I, used, I used to do that uh, when we were preparing our speeches that we were making in Chinese for entrepreneurship competitions. And I did it to help prepare myself for a TED talk that I did. So yeah, that, that journey method can really help. R, repetition. So this will be any spaced repetition software like Anki. 
S, symbols. Sometimes using symbols can connect similar things that you want to remember, a cross or a big tick. Yet, you know, symbols in general are one of the most amazing things about human beings, like that we can take something that is incredibly complex and narrow it down to just a quick symbol, like the, the little man on a bathroom that tells you this is the men's room and the slightly modified version of it that has a little dress to show you it's the women the woman's room. I mean like those things aren't people. It's a flat bit of plastic that just has some color contrast and yet you know exactly what it is because our we're 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 able to take incredibly complex things and abstract them down to simple iconic representations. And so the fact that we're able to do that is very it's highly indicative of what skills we have as human beings and that we can take advantage of that. So absolutely. E, enjoy. Have fun and you'll remember more. I can't, I couldn't agree with that more. When you're getting into the Henzu movie method and you're learning characters, I'd highly recommend taking a moment to just chill and recognize this is fun and silly. Like the fact that you can come up with different uh, scenarios that involve fictional characters or people from your life and there you know there's there's going to be lots of different props and and objects that could create scenarios that are wild you know oh Shaquille O'Neal what are you doing in my parents kitchen with a badger and a screwdriver like geez you know it's, it's sort of silly and fun and so that's the seahorse acronym Senses, exaggerate, action, humor, order, repetition, symbols, enjoy. Of course, you don't have to use all these seahorse items, perhaps just one or two, to make things memorable. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Merrick, for that. And uh, by the way, I I've actually contacted Dominic O'Brien before to see if he wants to come on the podcast and talk about uh, his memory techniques. So, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you, if you're good friends with him, you could mention how great Mandarin Blueprint is because uh, we would love to have him on on and chat with him about his experiences. Next, we have Evan Hall on Walk in the Park. I've got Hanzi to study, which is, uh, I believe, the first graded reader in phase four. And his question is, are we supposed to be able to do the native speed before moving on to the next story? Uh, no. So like, this is a really important one. I actually put a video into the course to emphasize this point because... Um, it's like, it's really important to understand what these graded readers are. So when we introduce a graded reader, all we're saying is you're ready to read this at 90% comprehension in phase four. And um, really, ideally, you want to only have a graded reader when you're at 98% comprehension. But when you're at phase four of the course, you're not yet to 80% of the language by frequency. So it's very difficult to make a long story that is at 98% comprehension and is also interesting at all. Like, you know, so it's, uh, we need to have a few more top-down words when you're only in phase four. However, uh, when you get to phase five, we start saying, hey, here's 90% and 98%. And then when you get to the intermediate course, the only thing we show you is 98% comprehension because by the intermediate course, when you know 80% of the language by frequency, it's amazing how much more you can communicate. Like, because... Yeah, you don't have to know 99% of the language by frequency to be able to communicate in a lot of situations. Most situations don't require more advanced language. So you can have these really uh, interesting um, discussions with even basic language. But um, when you're in phase four, it's a little tough. You're only at about like 55 to 60% of the language by frequency at that point. So it's it's tough to make a story that's engaging and also 98% comprehension. So, but here's my point. We're just telling you you've reached 90% comprehension. Skip it if you want. Do it later. Do it when you get to 98% comprehension. And then certainly when you do it, you don't have to get to the native speed. Like getting to the 80% speed at understanding. And also, it's not about getting to 80% speed shadowing. It's about getting to 80% speed understanding. So here's how I would think of it. A, skip it if you want. Just know that you have it. There's a navigating phase four uh, dialogues, opinions, and stories link that'll show you exactly what levels each um, lesson gets unlocked, which you can reference anytime. 
and so don't feel obligated to finish anything at any time with the stories because they're not essential parts of the language like a character is. You have to do the characters, right? So if you're in a frame of mind where you're just like, I want to learn more characters and I want to do the game theory part of the Mandarin Blueprint method, then just stick with that. And when you're in a different frame of mind where you want to like try reading a, a story and getting some of that comprehensible input, then that's when you can go check out the stories. So no, you do not have to get uh, to native speed or 80% uh, comprehension for that matter or anything to move on. You can just skip them if you want. But when you do arrive at them, here are your list of priorities. One, understand the text. Step one, understand the messages of the text. If you don't understand something, leave a comment in the lesson. Luke or myself will explain that element and you know we'll make sure that you can figure out what that sentence means and how it fits in. And you'll notice that if you look in the comments of many of these lessons um, that we've already addressed some of these questions. So that's the first thing. Second, if uh, you know, you can take the audio files from the download and put them into a playlist and have them play in the background while you're going about your day. And that'll be a form of immersion that's going to be comparatively better to incomprehensible immersion. So the hierarchy is this. Immersion that's comprehensible is the best. Immersion that's incomprehensible is better than nothing. And nothing is the worst. So if you don't have any Chinese playing while you're going through your day, then you could improve your environment and you could have some you know, Chinese news playing. But if you have some Chinese news playing, you're not gonna be able to understand it yet. You might be able to recognize a word here or there or recognize some uh, you know, first tones or a problem initial or something like that, but you won't be able to like fully comprehend it. But if you start playing in the background, the phase four stories, well, you're gonna get to comprehension with them just listening faster than you might think, but don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just have it on, you know, just check it out. Um, okay, and then next, uh, third is to try to shadow, but don't try to shadow all of them necessarily. Maybe someday you'll get to all of them, but shadowing is very intensive. So I would say out of the 40 phase four graded readers, maybe try to shadow three to five of them and maybe don't even try to shadow them until you've gone through all 40 and you know which ones you kind of like. The, the ones that you think, oh, that's an interesting story, but you do not need to shadow everything. I like I realized we gave some people the impression that you're expected to shadow completely all of the different phase four stories and like, no, no, no. Shadowing is like a, a technique that gets you better at pronunciation. It gets you better at flowing in the language, but geez, it is not required for everything because it's too intensive and you're going to have a chance to practice your speaking and practice your flow like constantly throughout your uh, learning journey. So uh, you don't have to slow yourself down with that. So thanks uh, for asking about that, Evan, because I feel like it was really important that we clarify those few points. Next, we have Mesrop Porsum on required how to use vocab and context flashcards. Good question here because it relates to how to review the sentence flashcards, which are basically a sentence with a missing character. And so you're supposed to figure out what is the missing character. And in the process, you end up actually reading lots of sentences and getting a sense of grammar. So the question is, hi there. Just to be sure, am I supposed to visualize the character that fills in the blank or is it sufficient to repeat just the pinyin? I am asking because some characters tend to be a bit complicated so you can take time to recall them. Yeah, so there is a bit of a difference between producing the character and recognizing the character. So because you're doing Henza movie method flashcards, you have a chance to practice writing the character many times. So um, with that in mind, it's okay if when you're reading uh, a sentence that you just say the word or say the sentence out loud and you're able to you know, recognize what the missing character was. So let's suppose that the word you're learning is detail, and the, which means earth, literally a soil ball. Um, and suppose that the missing character is Chiu. Well, you're gonna be practicing that character Chiu in the Hanza movie method. So you're gonna be drawing the, you know, uh, king component on the left and then the, um, the taskmaster slash, um, you know, uh, the, the, 
whatever prop you've chosen to represent that right side uh, component, you're going to be writing that it, doing your character flashcards. So that's the type of flashcard where you're focusing on the character at that level. When you're focusing on the sentence, you're just trying to recognize what could be the missing character here. And so when you are able to say Dito out loud and maybe say the whole sentence out loud, that indicates that you understand. It doesn't really matter that maybe you couldn't remember exactly how to write the character in that moment because you have another opportunity to practice that with the Hensel Movie Method card. So good question. Soren Korsbeck on Vocab Unlocked from Lee. So here's a sentence. I don't get this one, although I anticipate it's fairly straightforward. Yeah, I can understand why this, this one might be a little bit strange. So let's talk about the two things here. 做人做事. So 做事 means do things. So its meaning of handle affairs makes sense. 做事. Okay, I'm going to handle things, right? But 做人, that one's a little bit abstract because it just means do person. And it's basically a way of saying, be a person, conduct yourself well. Which is a bit, a lot to extrapolate from simply do person or make person, you know, it's like there theoretically you'd want to have more to it than that, but that's, you know, what is established there. So basically means to be a person who conducts themselves and handles, handles their affairs and it's kind of implied handles, conducts themselves and handles their affairs. Well, they're going to have to 讲道理. So 讲道理 just means be reasonable. So uh, if you want to be a good person who handles their affairs well, you're going to have to be reasonable. That's what this sentence means. Jeff Bryant on Bieren in context. Just want to know that I'm understanding the nuance correctly here. And he puts four sentences here. He says, You can't give to other people. You can't give all of it to other people. You can't give a bit to other people. You can't give any bit of it to other people. So there's a few points I would make here. Jen, this isn't too far off, but let's make a couple of small nuanced distinctions. So, well, it depends on what you're talking about here. So for example, uh, Suppose I would just, I said I had a bunch of pencils sitting here, which are called 铅笔, 铅笔. Okay, so 这些铅笔都不能给别人. Uh, so when I say that, I'm saying that all of the pencils cannot be given to other people. But what if I said 这些铅笔? That's a different statement. I've just all I've done is changed the word or, word order from do bunung to bunung do. But what it is difference in meaning in the sense that it might be like okay, you can give some of them away, but you can't give all of them away. Bunung do But means all of them you can't give away to other people. So. When the translation that Jeff gave of you can't give all of it to other people isn't precisely right. That would be bunung do gebieren. It's if it's do bunung gebieren, it's you can't give any of it to other people. Like there's not not just all of it, any of it at all, right? So um so it's a small distinction, but yeah. First and third sentence are fine. The final sentence um is not technically wrong. It's just not usually how people would say it. You don't usually say two dians. You don't usually say yi dian dian do. You just say yi dian do bu or yi dian ye bu. So within this particular construction, ye and do are interchangeable. So yi dian ye bu or yi dian do bu basically means you can't, not a bit, a little bit also can't, right? So you can't give any of it to other people. And it's mostly just an exaggeration. It's not that you could, couldn't just say, uh, uh, that, that's fine, means the same thing. But if you say, 
一点都不能给别人。You're trying to really emphasize it. You're like, you know, no, no way that you can do this.、Um, so that's the distinction there. Technically, saying 一点点都不能给别人 isn't wrong. It's just you very rarely will hear anybody say that. Next, we have Philip Dong on nar in context. He says, "Hi there." In the sentence, 他哪知道你不吃面包 specifically 哪知道 how was he to know? But based on the characters I've learned so far, it's translating to where to know. What am I missing? Thanks. So Philip must have missed because when you are in any of these vocab and context lessons, we'll teach you a word, but we'll also have lists of usages. And the third usage of nar is for rhetorical questions. So, you might say like, "How was I to know that you don't eat bread?" You know, or sorry, how was he to know that you don't eat bread? That's how we might say it rhetorically in English. But in Chinese, they just it's like it's almost like they're saying, "Where could he have found this information?" Right. So, it's just a different way of constructing a rhetorical question. But tan nar jadal. Where would he know that you don't eat bread, right? There's so that's the rhetorical element to it.、Um, it's just a different, slightly different way than we might do it in English, but it's it makes sense. It's not like it's completely illogical. It's like there there must be this knowledge somewhere, but where could he have known it, right? So it works like that. Jason Pan on Bing Shui in context. So Jason says, 每天早晨起来。我都会喝一杯冰水 By placing the do after 我 is there a shift in the sense of all to focus on I rather than being 每天早晨都 No, the the focus is on the daily drinking of 冰水都会喝一杯冰水 I will always drink a glass of cold water. That's where the focus is because 每天早晨起来 It's just establishing when this happens, but It, there's sort of an assumption on the speaker's part that, like, I don't need to emphasize that every day I get up in the morning because it's sort of like that's not the point they're making,、um, and that would be kind of a weird point to make anyway because you know unless you're、uh, somebody who works at night and therefore every day gets up in the afternoon, pretty much everybody gets up in the morning, right? So and every day,、uh, so it's like. The the point is to focus on what they do, what they're always going to do every day, because that's the thing that isn't necessarily as universal. So, 我都会喝一杯冰水，一杯冰水。All right, nice. Next, we're gonna move on to the vocab living links section of the podcast, and、uh, this is essentially just where we focus on the two character or more words and how to learn them. So. Let's focus on these. Jeff Bryant on vocab unlocked from bie, bieren, and bieda, bieren. So this sort of sounds like we're out for beer and gallivanting with the others. So so he's taking bieren, going bieren, bieren, right? Like it's like obviously he's uh just sort of going for a sound mnemonic there, and I like it. And um, you know, bieda. Think about this word. I like this because bie by itself means don't. You know, um. 别拿我的手机 Don't take pick up my phone.、Um, so 别的 so 的 means possess. So don't possess. Well, others are the things that you don't possess.、Um, so you could think of it like that. So 别的东西 is other stuff.、Um, 别的朋友 other friends. You know, and then 别人 is just the general word for other people. And so it makes sense that 别的 means.、Um, Other in general,、and、it's like bieda what, like what is bieda chen shen, other shirts,、uh, bieda jia zi gu, other drum sets. I'm just looking around and naming objects in the room. <laughs> All right, Jeff Bryant on vocab unlocked from Shao. 介绍 I'll just show, 介绍 you around and introduce you to some people. So I, I can imagine that scenario already. Somebody's walking into, say, a banquet hall, and they're doing, I'll just show you, 介绍你 around. You know, like,、uh, that makes sense.、Uh, cool. Jeff Bryant on Vocab Unlocked from 到没想到回到得到 and 找到 So this is for 得到 He says, the esteemed dowager <laughs> obtained great wealth. So 得到 means to get or obtain. And、uh, so a dowager, of course, is a rich person usually <laughs> in the British aristocracy. So he's using the end of esteemed 
the esteemed dowager. I like it. <laughs> Jeff is pretty good at these sound mnemonics. And while we're on the uh, subject of dao and the unlocked vocab, let's look at the other three words. So hui dao, obvious, return, arrive, re to return, easy. Mei xiang dao. Mei xiang. So, so mei means a negation in the past, right? Xiang means to think. And dao means to arrive or as a as a complement to successfully do something. You arrived at the thought in a way. So xiang dao means to think of something successfully. I was xiang dao le wo de mao. Right. So I've thought of my cat. It's happened right now. Right. So mei xiang dao means you never thought of it. I never occurred to me. Right. So. Um, so this might be something you would use if you accidentally said something that offended someone. You might go, oh, well, 没想到这会得罪你. Yeah, that'd be fine. So, okay, cool. Uh, and then 找到. So 找 means to look for. 找到 means to find. So that's a really good way of understanding how 到 works as a complement because clearly the action of 找, I'm looking, I'm looking, where is it, where is it? Oh, 找到了, right? You know, so... Gives you a good sense of the difference there by going for look for, search, and find. Nice. Jeff Bryant on Vocab Unlocked from 做,做饭, 做爱, 叫做. So these are the three sentence, or three words here that are unlocked from 做. And he says, 叫做, and he quotes, it's between you and the person you're doing it to, which is a clip from Frasier, uh, which is a you know sitcom in the 90s, and um, it's Fraser's dad. So there's a link here uh, to that clip if you're interested. Um, but jiao um, you know, is like what something is called. So it's like, you know, um, 什么叫做汉语的语法呢? What would you call Chinese grammar? What's Chinese grammar? Uh, you know, 什么叫做... Uh, uh, what is a movie, right? It's like a way of sort of like rhetorically asking what something's called. Um, and so that, that our teachers used to do that at Chuanda all the time. And, um, you know, you could just say, you could say anything is called, this is called, you know, if you were teaching a child, like it's like, this is called a movie, you know, 这叫做电影, right? You know, it's like, that would be, um, Kind of uh, the way you would use that. Now, the other two words, 做饭 and 做爱, are basically make food, to cook, and make love, which is to make love. And uh, 做爱 does work in that same way, in the sense that it's tactful, um, and it's not going to offend anybody to say 做爱. It's not a vulgar term. Um, whereas, uh, but it's also not like the legal term either. Um, uh, you might say, so you might say, 发生关系. Uh, that's a very like tactful way. Had relations. Relations happened. 发生关系. That's a very like kind of tactful way. And then uh, 性交 would be like sexual intercourse. So it's just sort of the, you might hear that in a courtroom or something. Very few people are going to say 性交 in conversation. They might say 做爱 because that's a bit more um, tactful and more colloquial. But, uh, you know, it kind of gives you a sense there. And I won't go into the, the ones that are more vulgar, but uh, that's not hard to find if you're uh, curious and do a Google. All right, let's go to the movie scene share. So these are full mnemonic scenes, and uh, they cover a, an individual character. So here we have Will Rarely on Make a Movie for which means to point at. It also means to refer to. So, like, say, for example, ta-zhi-de-shi-ni-zuo-tian-shuo-de-hua. Um, uh, He's referring to what you said yesterday, right? So that's um, an example where you would use to mean refer to, but this kind of makes sense. Like you literally point to and refer to in the abstract, right? Okay, so Jerry is in the childhood home living room. So that covers the pronunciation. A floating finger randomly appears and points at a killer son about to break in through the window and attack Jerry. Jerry quickly grabs a Chinese spoon and uses it to fend off the attacking killer son. Jerry says to the finger, thanks for pointing that out. Nice. And then maybe they high five. <laughs> uh, excellent scene. Uh, Will, no, no problems there. Will rarely on make a movie for long, which means dragon. Leslie Nielsen 
at the ONG kitchen. He wants his own pet dragon. He draws an outline on the kitchen wall with a highlighter pen of a dragon and then carves the outline out with a samurai sword. It magically turns into a new pet dragon for Leslie Nielsen and he tightly hugs it. So yeah, nice. I like this because the highlighter pen is doing what it's supposed to do. It's drawing. I mean, sure, it's not highlighting text, but it's it's drawing in a way that a marker can. And then the samurai sword is cutting, which is, you know, using the props as they're meant to be. And then having the dragon magically turn into a dragon at the end might be a thing that you wouldn't expect to happen, although it's not like you've never seen something like that in movies. And then he hugs it at the end. So the, the giving it the tactile response. Excellent scene there from Will. Nick Sims on Make a Movie for shirt. Sean Connery is in the kitchen of my childhood home listening to a chatty teeth mouth lie and lie about his life. And if I recall, Nick has his mouth prop have the characteristic of being like, you know, talking too much and kind of lying all the time, telling tales. Sean says, give me a break. I'm tired of your lies. Can't you talk about something other than yourself? Chatty teeth starts to talk about me, Sean, and the insults just keep coming. Okay, Chatty, you cast the first stone. Sean takes out his samurai sword and slashes at Chatty just as it is parried with a ninja star thrown by Chatty Teeth. Chatty turned into stone after the sword touched the tip of his mouth. I like the, the introduction of cast the first stone, but also ending with turning to stone. And uh, I think that that's perfectly fine. Maybe even... Uh, <laughs> to make it even clearer with a cultural reference here, as the uh, samurai sword hits, just before it hits the chatty teeth, suddenly the end of the sword turns into Medusa's head, because wasn't the deal with Medusa that if you saw her uh, directly, you she would turn and you would turn into stone. So that would just even make it a little bit more um, easy to remember. But it's still a great scene even without that. Nick Sims on Make a Movie for Yung, which means hard as in compared to soft. Eve, the American rapper, is in the bathroom at the MSU Engineering Building trying to get Jabba the Hutt to invest in her rap business. Jabba wants a 20% stake in the business and trying to drive a hard deal term sheet. Eve is a savvy negotiator though, and slaps him across the head with MSU's rock, which is the shu component, which is extremely big and hard to knock some sense into him. You drive a hard bargain, Eve. I accept your proposal. And so, yeah, I think that the this is good. A, a, a rock is naturally hard. So maybe when uh, Eve initially uses it, it's one of those fake uh rocks it looks like it's real but it's actually just a cushiony soft thing and so it doesn't work at first and then she switches to a hard rock and then it works uh or it's or it transforms into a hard rock and then it works so that we can get the contrast between soft and hard i think that would that would help in this particular situation hank elliott on make a movie for two which means according to uh like for example is like the uh, based on the, the, the root evidence in a way, um, and Zheng Ju's evidence. And so Ju has this according to feel. So Hank says, Jorah Mormont is in the bathroom of my childhood home, carrying a flag celebrating his mother of dragons. One of his fingers is wrapped up like a mummy. This is because he has grayscale and according to Game of Thrones lore, he is highly contagious if his grayscale touches anyone. According to all the maesters, Jorah should be dead already and cannot be saved. But Sam saves him according to directions from another old book. So I like this because according, according to is a very abstract concept. It's quite difficult to just like come up with a great scene for according to. So he uses the, um, you know, Game of Thrones lore, and he even does, according to Game of Thrones lore, which is sort of outside the story, and then does two examples from inside the story, like according to the Maesters and according to uh, old books that Sam was reading. And I remember that scene from the the shows, so uh, good scene, Hank. I like it. Hank Elliott on Make a Movie for Toe. So Toe means to, like, throw or throw into. So, like, throw yourself into Like, I throw myself into my work, right? Tom Cruise is practicing Wing Chun Kung Fu. And by the way, I, I read through this before. 
I think that maybe for Hank, Wing Chun Kung, Kung Fu represents the right side component. Not totally sure because I don't see another example of the right side component here. So Tom Cruise is practicing Wing Chun Kung Fu in the kitchen of Sandusfield Ambulance, the OU set. He is practicing quite fast and suddenly a finger falls off. So he picks it up and throws it into the trash. A little while later, a toe falls off his foot. I was just meant to relate to the... Um, pronunciation so he picks, picks that up and throws it into the trash as well over and over again he throws his fingers into the trash every now and then he also loses a toe soon he has no fingers or toes left to throw into the trash so you know i i gotta think that the wing chun kung fu is the connection to the right side component there which is kind of an action not a prop but hank at this point is pretty dang good at this so i think that uh that'll be okay as it is excellent stuff so that'll be it for this week's Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Check out mandarinblueprint.com to learn more about how you can get involved in the Mandarin Blueprint Method course and start a free trial. See you next week.